Good morning, Oakland. Welcome. You may be seated. Welcome. I just have a quick public service announcement. If we ever do a song with clapping and you don't see me clapping, there's a very good reason for that. It's because I have no... Don't think that it's not because I don't enjoy the song or that I can't clap well, but I just, I clap off beat and Kylie looks at me and just kind of shakes her head. So I don't try to clap most of the time. Occasionally I'll pat my leg or tap my foot, but nothing that makes noise because I'll mess everybody else up. <coughs> Good morning. Uh, we hope that this is a, a great place for you to be on Sunday morning, whether that's here in person or here online. We're just thankful that you're here with us. Uh, thankful that you're able to take some time to either be here in person or just carve out some time at home Uh, during these times to be a part of this great family. Uh, If it's your first time or if it's new to be here in Oakwood, whether online or in person, uh, we have these guest bags that we'd love to give you. Um, And all we just ask is that you give us some simple information. Uh, Part of being a great family is that we're able to connect with you. So we'd just like an email, some basic information so we can help get you connected. Uh, We have several different ministries. We have a student ministry that's happening tonight for our high schoolers. Um, Many different things like that happening throughout the week. We have a roots group for young adults. Uh, We have all sorts of things that we want to get people plugged into, but we can't do that if we don't know how to contact you. Uh, We try to send carrier pigeons all the time, but they just come back. They don't know where to go. Uh, So again, if you'd go out to our oak uh, out in the lobby, we'll help get that set up. I'm glad to be here this morning. Are you guys glad to be here this morning? Amen. We're going to pray as we continue to worship together, but let's just take a moment. uh, Prepare our hearts for worship. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning just excited. Uh, We're excited to be here this morning. We're excited uh, to gather as a body of believers, whether that be online or in person. Uh, Father, as we do that, we just ask that you'd bless this place. Father, we just ask that you'd bless the words of our pastor this morning. Uh, You would bless the people on stage who are leading us in worship. And Father, you'd bless all the volunteers who make a Sunday morning happen. And Father, as we just uh, continue in worship this morning, we just ask that you'd open our hearts Uh, Open our hearts to the message that you may have for us. Open our hearts uh, to change that you might uh, provoke in our life, Father. But ultimately, just open our hearts to you. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may stand and we'll worship together.
next song we're doing might be a little new to some people, um, but it's pretty pretty simple, pretty easy to catch on. Just talking about Jesus and how he is everything we need.
Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you, Habakkuk, because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. If God today told us what he's doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. Don't you think God's given up and God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. He's still on the throne. And those of us that know him put our trust in him and him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put trust in my money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, he'll be there. I will echo what Emily said as our worship leader. She's so sweet and calm. I think she said something to the fact that it hasn't been a great start to this year. <laughs> I think I would say it's been an incredibly, incredibly horrible start to the year. If it was a 10-day free trial period, I would have canceled my subscription already. But instead of making comments about what I think, what's happening, I mean, it can't get any worse. I mean, for crying out loud, Jim Harbaugh gets $20 million for five more years. I mean, what, what is this world come to? But instead of making my political commentary, which I will not do, I've decided to just start our service today with the only thing that matters. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? I'll read it aloud. You simply can listen. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, Philippians 4, 5. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, Matthew 5. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, First Peter 2. Next one. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice, all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, Ephesians chapter 4. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, John 13. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world, John 18. May God add his blessing to the reading of scripture. You may be seated. I'm not sure why my clicker's not working. I'm going to have to leave it to you, I guess, in the back. If you'd click forward one more time, please. Big idea today. Uh, and we'll go into prayer first, and then we'll give you our big idea. Let's pray together. Would you say this prayer? God, if there's anything you'd like me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Thank you, Ben. Just give that prayer to God. God, if, I know there's something for me to hear, so I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message today be edified, and may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. God's providence is an incredible thing. I would think it would be funny, except for I'm the one that gets put up on the stage. 
the Gospel Project series has been going on for five years, and we've worked hard in the office to figure out uh, the Christmas thing, and then the start of the year with our state of the church, and, and then where are we at in the Gospel Project, put it all back together, plug it into a calendar, and then life happens on January 6th, and the message that I prepared on Tuesday before 11 o'clock... Tuesday before 11, this message was written. Please don't anyone say I chose this message to be political. The message that was on my plate was Acts chapter 23. Open your Bibles, get a gadget there. It's a lot of reading today, but we're going to find out what happens when there's a plot against Paul, and it's out of his control. And I titled the message Out of His Control today, Out of, out of Your Control. And the big idea is when things are out of my control... Accept what is, let God, let go of what was, trust God with what will be. Again, that was written Tuesday before 11 a.m. And then the events of our world happened. I think there's application today, but I will refuse to tie it together for you. He who has ears, let him hear what the scriptures has to say today. As you look at the big idea, you might take exception because when you see accept what is, some of you might say, no, we should never accept what is. We should change it. Again, I want you to read the first line, when things are out of my control. We're talking about things that you cannot control. Uh, by all means, if, if you're struggling with your weight and you need to lose some weight today, don't just accept what is. You change that because you do have some control over that. Uh, I can go on and on and give illustrations of that. But there are things that happen that you do not control. Who's admitting, self-admitting control freak? Anybody? Yep, thank you. My name is Don. I am the president of the club. Uh, I I like to pretend that I'm in control. I like to pretend I have things the way I'd like them to be. And quite often I learn that we don't. We often don't have control over some things. So out of the things that you cannot control, we accept what is. We let go of what was, a little bit of what I talked about last week. If you always keep looking at the best you had it was 20 years ago, then you're never going to move forward. And we trust God with what will be. We put our hands, our future in God's hands. So this morning, should I try it one more time? It did work. The plot against Paul, Acts 23, 1 through 24. As you read scripture, I trust you understand by now that things didn't always go well for God's people, even his servants. Quite often we find they're in jail, <laughs> not where you'd want to be. And, and, if, and if God did everything the way we wanted it to be, Paul would never be in jail. He, he, he would never be an outcast on an island from a shipwreck. He would never have gone through any of these things. But God has a plan. And God is doing something in your life and my life and the world that you don't always understand. I find it amazing that when in the, in the garden, the disciples grabbed a sword and wanted to go to war, you know, and, and, and they wanted to, to, and they weren't warriors, and so the best they could do was slice an ear, you know, talk about a miss, colossal miss, I mean, that's bad swordsmanship, and there's another time when Jesus was saying to his disciples, I must go into Jerusalem, and I must be beaten, and I must be sacrifice i must go so that i can die and the and the most vehement of them all stood up and said no we won't let it happen we'll practice our swordsmanship and jesus says get thee behind me satan jesus declares satanic the idea of us knowing the way things should be and the way things should go It's satanic to thwart the plans of God. I don't give Peter a hard time at all because, man, it seemed like the right thing to do. The the right thing to do is, Lord, no, we don't want you to die. We love you. I mean, it seemed right. And I don't give him a hard time for that, but the Lord had to put it straight. No, there's greater things that must happen. Peter had no idea that what he was fighting against was his eternal security. He had no idea that the things he was fighting against would keep him from salvation. So there's a plot against Paul, and I'm going to tell you today it's not fair. It's unjust. What happened was against truth. It was wrong. But it was God's plan to get Paul where he needed to be to send the gospel throughout the whole world. Acts 23. 
to set the stage in Acts 22.30. It says, the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, so the next day he released him in order that the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin could assemble. And they brought Paul, and they had him stand before him. So we've got Rome, and, and they're trying to keep peace. They're trying to stop an insurrection, and, and they don't want people being wild and out of control. And so they see that this Paul has is, is, is been uh, uh, put under arrest, and they, they see that he is being uh, possibly put to death, and, and they, they don't want that. And they're like, let's find out what's going on. And so the commander does the right thing, and he says, oh, oh slow, slow your roll. Let's just have a hearing. Let's see what's going on. You tell your side. You tell your side. That's what happened. So now we have the events of Acts 23. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. That's a common thing in those days. To this day, to this very day in the East, if you speak something that somebody finds offensive, it's a smack to the mouth. It's a way to silence you. And so what the high priest was doing is, as soon as Paul spoke, smack him on the mouth. Let, let, let it be known that what he says is wrong. And it's amazing because all Paul said was, I stand here innocent today. I stand here righteous. I, I've done no wrong. That's all I've said at this point. And already he's being accused. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law. You let yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. So Paul defends himself. Paul says, what you've done is wrong. You cannot do this. He called the chief priest a whitewashed wall. We've heard that before in Scripture. A lot of times you would take a cave and and, and that would be the bathroom. We know in Saul, when he went into to relieve himself, he went into a cave. And, uh, and then what they would do is they would come and whitewash these caves, just kind of put a coating of clean on it, and that would kind of clean it up. But it's full of bones, and it's full of you-know-what. So he's basically calling this high priest an empty cave full of poop. That's what you are. Poopy, poopy pants. That's what Paul was saying to this chief priest. But then something interesting happened. Those who were there standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. I take moment to have you notice the humility of God's servant. It's hard to understand how Paul couldn't recognize who the chief priest was. He has been gone for some time. Usually the chief priest would be wearing some kind of regalia that would outdo everybody else's. I don't know why Paul did not recognize who it was. There was a lot of chaos. I won't delve into it. I can't tell you why he didn't know. But he says, I did not know that was who I was talking to. I should not have done that. The response should always be biblical. He quotes scripture to say, it was wrong of me. What I did was wrong. Then, verse 6, Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of my hope of a resurrection from the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are no angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. This is called shrewdness. Paul analyzed his situation, and he realized everybody was against him, trying to kill him, and all of a sudden, Paul just points out, hey, I'm a Pharisee, and I believe in a resurrection. Now, instead of everybody wanting to kill Paul, they want to kill each other. I can imagine that Paul just kind of said, <laughs> and he backed up. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees started going at each other. Sadducees, once again, do not believe in eternal life. They don't believe in the spirit world. So they're Sadducees. Sadducees are sad to see because they're sad, you see. 
Pharisees wear their religious outfits and like to be seen in public praying. Pharisees are fair to see, you see. That's how you can know the difference. But in this case, Paul brings out the fact that the Sadducees do not believe in these things. And Paul says, I have a hope for the future. I believe in the resurrection. Then they go at it. Pharisees are like, whoa, wait a second. He's one of ours. How dare you? And then he just lets them divide each other. There was a great uproar in verse 9. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? I just love that jab. You know, that's their argument. There is no spirit. There is no angel. And so now the Pharisees are like, wait a second. He's on our team. We like him. We don't like you. How dare you say he's not heard this from the Lord? And then they, it gets ugly. 10, the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. The plot against Paul. They want to kill him. There is so much division between these two parties. Can you imagine two parties that are so divided that one would decide that murder... These are religious people, by the way. This is not Rome. These are the religious people. And one group has decided the answer would be murder. How two parties could be so divided and murder and death be the proper answer is beyond me. And I hope I never can understand that. But when, verse 16, the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went in the barracks and he told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring you this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting to ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. Verse 22, the commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Do not tell anyone what you've reported to me. Verse 23, then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows, Claudius Lysias to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him for I learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted... I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to the Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I ordered his accusers to present their case to you against him. So the soldiers carrying their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought them as far as Antipatris or Antipatris. It's Ypsilanti or Ypsilanti, I don't care. I do know that this was Herod's town named after Herod's father, Antipat. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him. While they returned to their barracks, when the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what providence he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. I find this to be an amazing passage of God's intervention. God's hand at work 
God's providential care and protection for his people. It doesn't always go the way you want it to go. It doesn't always go the way you think it should go. But God is at work. So there's three things. Three realities for kingdom people. Number one, kingdom people are judged for believing and following Jesus. What is Paul really in in trouble for? Paul believes in Jesus. Paul has stood and proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is uh, the king of the Jews. He is, and of course, with his belief and following of Jesus, he is under attack. He's judged. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they both want him dead. There's anger. I want you to know as kingdom people today, you will be judged and you should be judged for believing and following Jesus. The Bible says, make sure when people speak evil of you, it's not because you did dumb things. I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing. It's not because you did evil things. Make sure that if they accuse you, it's because of Jesus' name. Make sure it's because of good that you do that people accuse you of wrongdoing. Do not be a meddler or a troublemaker. Kingdom people are judged and should be judged for believing and following Jesus. If you claim to be a Jesus follower in our culture today and in our world, there will be people that hate you for that. There will be people who speak evil of you even though their evil is wrong. Expect it. Expect it. Thank you, sir. Do not expect that you get your way all the time. Do not expect that everybody has to agree with you all the time. Expect that you will be judged and ridiculed and hated. This is what we've been told as kingdom people. Paul certainly is under uncomfortable situations. Who wants to be in the middle of this mad group of people who could tear you to pieces? The commander of the army said, I'm more worried that they're going to rip him in two. There's so much hate and vitriol that he is in danger for his life. He's been imprisoned against his will. Wrong has been done here to him. We need to remember that we're kingdom people at all times. How do we respond biblically? Tuesday, 11 o'clock. Tuesday, 11 o'clock. How do you respond when you perceive a plot of unfairness takes place. Number one, I must speak honestly. What did Paul do? He started his speech by saying, I am blameless. I'm upright and righteous. I have done nothing wrong. Can you say that? I must speak honestly. How do you respond when somebody attacks you for your faith? Speak honestly. Number two, I must obey scripturally. You never have the right or authority to step out against God's word. Believer, you never have the right to break a law to defend yourself. I believe in civil disobedience. I shall take you to civil course sometime and teach you about civil disobedience. It is allowed under our laws, civil disobedience. However, the person who chooses civil disobedience is still held liable to the law. You must be willing to face consequences if you choose to stand up and do civil disobedience. But you never have the right to say, I know what God says, but I. You never have the right to say, God's word tells me to be like this as a Christian, but I. Those are the two most dangerous words for any kingdom person. But I. When you but I, you put yourself above God's word. So but I is dangerous. Always obey the commands. Some of them were read to you this morning from scripture. You never have the right to say I will not do 2 Peter. I will not do Romans 12. I will not do that because I. Paul did not do that. He spoke honestly. He obeyed scripturally. When it was pointed out to him that he spoke evil against the ruler, he quoted scripture and said, I am wrong. Kingdom living. Three, I must act accordingly. How do you act accordingly? I mean, don't you just want to have a fit and just mess? Don't you just sometimes you just don't? We all want that. Sometimes we all want to just say, I've had enough. It's wrong. I hate it. I've had enough and I'm gonna. I mean, oh. I read a story yesterday I absolutely loved. This guy's shopping and 
And uh, this Karen, we'll call her Karen, she, she's thrown an absolute fit in the store. Nobody's helping her. She's angry, and she grabs this guy and says, where is the eye makeup? And, and he's like, I have no idea. And, and she's like, what do you mean you have no idea? Can I speak to your manager? No, you can't. Where is he? He's probably at home in bed. And on and on this goes until we finally find out the guy doesn't work there. He's just a customer like she is, and he's just playing along and answering the question. that he, And, and it's, it's hilarious. But all these Karens, these people that just decided, I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm just going to throw a fit and sit in it. I'm just... How do we act accordingly in a world that's not fair and unjust, doesn't believe in truth, goes against everything we stand for? There's a verse for that. Do justice. Do what's right all the time. You don't get a pass. Do what's right in the eyes of God. You do what's right when no one's looking. We love mercy. We do what's right and we are people of mercy because our God's a God of mercy. Are you telling me, Pastor, we should be loving to the people that are our enemies? Somebody else said it, not me. That's exactly what I'm preaching today. Do, do right. Love mercy. Be the example of mercy. Walk humbly. When we want to throw a fit and sit in it, it's the opposite of humility. That's me saying, but I, but I am not happy. We, as kingdom people, called to a higher standard. We're called to the way of Christ. We are called to follow his example. So how do we respond biblically? Tuesday at 11, I thought these things were true. I stand here today and I say they're true today. Micah 6, 8, but he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. Back to the outline today. Three realities for kingdom people. Kingdom people, number one, are going to be judged. We know that's true, but let it be judged because of our right doing, not our wrongdoing. Number two, kingdom people are strengthened through God's promises. In the middle of Paul's terrible plot against him, he's almost put to death. In the middle of jail, in the middle of all this chaos, one verse, the Lord shows up. I love how it's almost... You could pass it and miss it. The Lord shows up, stands next to him, and he simply says, So you've witnessed in Jerusalem, so you must witness for me in Rome. Rome is the center of the world at the time. I was in Israel, and a professor at Jerusalem University was speaking one night at the hotel. I took him out after, and we had a long conversation. One of the topics that came up was, why did Jesus come at 0 AD. Why did he come at that time in history? Why, why was it then? Didn't he know that if he came in 2000, man, the cable TV would help, right? Because everybody knows that you can trust what's on the TV, right? And so why didn't he come when the word could be broadcast? Well, no, he came at the time of history when everything in the world came through Rome. If you go from Rome to the rest of the world, you go through this little town called Jerusalem. The whole world... <laughs> traveled this way from Africa up through Jerusalem up and around to Rome and Rome was the center of the world if only if only some way Paul could get the message of Jesus to Rome how could we do that maybe if he just shows up on his own and says I'm Paul listen to me I do know this Kingdom people are strengthened through God's promises. Are you strengthened through God's promises? On the back of your notes, by the way, I've put these little sub things. Here's another sub thing. Six promises you should know. I want to give you these six promises today. Number one, God will never leave you. Deuteronomy 31 tells us that. He's by your side. Wouldn't wouldn't you like it to be more visible and physical like Paul? I would love that. I mean, it would be awesome if Jesus actually showed up and told me these things. But instead, he's he's given me his word, and he's given me preachers. He's given me teachers of the word. He's given me other fellow believers. And he does speak. God speaks. He never will leave you. Number two, 
God will always protect you, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. Not that you always get your perfect way that you think it should be, but he stands and he does protect you. There's a hedge about you. And we, we should continue to pray a hedge of protection around each other and one another. The hedge is being lowered, friends. I hope you understand that in time, as the hedge begins to lower and God's protection becomes less and less, there comes a time when God says, I'm going to remove the hedge, so I better go get my kids. I don't want my kids to be there when the full outright attack is on them. Are, 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 are you sure that our hedge is not being lowered to the point? But as believers, we believe he'll never leave us. He will always protect us. Number three, God will give you strength for every battle. You're, you're equipped for this. You've got this. One thing that I decided to say when Josh was a young boy, over and over again, in every situation, I would look him in the eyes, no matter what it was, and I'd say, you've got what it takes. You've got what it takes. I wanted him to know he didn't have a defeated life, he didn't have a a victim's life, that he had everything he needed to do what was good and live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Four. God will give you the graces necessary to endure all suffering. I still can't imagine Paul going through this. I can't imagine uh, being imprisoned and beaten and almost torn in two. But God gives you the grace necessary. I'm reminded of another time when Paul's in jail. He kind of hangs out there. He would never be voted in as pastor of a church. He's got a criminal record. He's been in a lot of jails. I remember another time in Scripture when God's people are put in jail and there's a great shaking and then the the gates fall off and it's jailbreak time. Remember when the jailer comes in and sees that they're not there and he freaks out? Why? Because he's dead. The jailer must be put to death. He lost them. And then you hear that don't hurt yourself, we're still here. Can you imagine the grace to be imprisoned wrongly? And stick around even though God shook the foundations because you cared about the jailer. (laughs) Grace. Grace. Five. God will forgive you even when you have sinned against him. 1 John 1.9. We are people that can never go too far. Never do too wrong. (laughs) His grace is sufficient. We call upon the name of the Lord. He will forgive you. Six, God will never stop loving you, Ephesians 3. These are six promises. Some people have done some research and they found over 3,000 promises in Scripture. Aren't you thankful I've chosen six today? But there's over 3,000 promises for the believer in Scripture. At 11 o'clock on Tuesday, I thought these six seemed to have important value You have promises. Paul had promises. Jesus showed up and told him, you did my bidding in Jerusalem and you must now do it in Rome. The third thing I see in this passage is kingdom people are preserved through providential circumstances. Providential circumstances. How is Paul going to get to Rome to preach the gospel? On his own merit? Not a chance. Here's Paul in prison and he's in a bad prison. He's, he's not being taken care of. He's been smacked in the mouth. He's not being cared for. People who love him can't care for him. And now Rome steps in, the enemy. The enemy steps in and says, whoa, we better protect him. So the enemy steps in and pulls him out. And where does he end up? He ends up in the palace. Not a bad move, thank you, God. He's been in the barracks. Now he's in the palace being protected by none other than evil Rome. The plot's revealed. How's this plot revealed? He's got a nephew. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk a nephew could save the day? Why is the nephew there? Well, the nephew's probably in Jerusalem to get his education. He's a young guy. He's probably there and and getting educated. He probably hears of this plot. And he runs right away and tells Paul, they're going to kill you. I heard the story, they're going to kill you. You need to go right to tell the commander. I'll go tell the commander. He goes, tells the commander. The commander says, oh, we got to get this guy out of here. And ends up in a palace. Do you see God's hand of providence? Could Paul have arranged for this himself? He was shrewd. I'm not telling you not to use your minds and not to be shrewd. He said, hey, by the way, I believe in the resurrection and angels. And they started fighting against each other. He was smart. 
But he couldn't have arranged Rome to pick up his defense. But God did. He went from being certainly prepared to die to having soldiers accompany him with 200 horses. How cool is that? How'd you like to be Paul when Rome's got you surrounded by all these soldiers and you're looking at the Sanhedrin going, na 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 boo boo you can't touch me. His hedge was evil Rome that day. God can do that. He was sent over to Caesarea. It's about a 30-mile trip or, or so. We can say 30 to 60-mile trip. They take him most of the way there, maybe 40 miles or so, and, and then they just leave him with a couple dozen soldiers. That's good enough or close enough. They get him there. You'll read on if you would choose to in, in, in Acts. Paul ends up there for two years in Caesarea in a kind of a nice prison place that he actually is allowed to have friends come and give him food and water and take care of him and visit him. Nice, nice deal. Much better deal than he had back in Jerusalem. And then you know what happens? Because he's a citizen of Rome, somebody decides we probably should send him to Rome. The evil ones, the bad ones, the nasty ones, the vile ones, they decided we ought to send him to talk to Caesar. And you'll read scripture and find that Paul stands one day and he proclaims Jesus in Rome for two years. I have a timeline to show you this. I call it the timeline of of God's preservation. Did you get new glasses in the new year? Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, and then we find out he's in prison in Caesarea, part of what we just read right now. Then you find out he gets sent to Rome. You find out from AD 61 to 63, Paul is in Rome preaching the gospel until his death. God preserves his people providential ways. You believe in the providential hand of God? The stories are so numerous. One I read that I loved was about a Civil War soldier who was about to die on his deathbed many years later. And he called for a preacher. Preacher in the nearest town rode to him. And, and he said, I just wanted to tell you this story before I died. He was one of the prisoners of war. I'm going to try not to tell which side. Sides are getting to be a little bit picky. He was a prisoner of war in the enemy's prison camp, and it was known as one of the worst prison camps. 14,000 soldiers died in that camp. Barely any food, and it was very filthy, but the problem was water. They weren't given clean water to drink. Some of the soldiers escaped this prison camp and were trying to get freedom, but were going to die of their thirst, and they cried out in prayer, God save us, we need water to drink. And the Civil War soldier tells this pastor that at that moment, lightning came down from heaven and struck a rock. And the rock opened and a spring came forth of fresh water and they all were saved. You could choose not to believe that and think, phooey, you Sadducee who doesn't believe in heavenly things. But if you go to Andersonville, Georgia today, you can visit Providential Springs where fresh water flows from a rock today. Our God can do mighty things. I choose to let him have it, than me to fix it. I've never made water come out of a rock. I was thinking through my past So many stories I could share. I've chose this one. I've shared it a long time ago. As a Bible student in college, Ben, you wouldn't understand this story. We'll try to explain it to you later. Um, I graduated in 90, and so you were six years out from being born. I was really blessed, and above most of my fellow students, I had a thing in my room called a computer. It was in my room. It was called an Apple IIe didn't have a hard drive. We had these little floppy disks. You, you, you started the computer and you put the disk in to run the program. And then when a program ran, you pulled that out and then you put it in a disk to save stuff on. This is how we did things. 
I had a 20-page theological paper I was working on, and I was working furiously on it. It was due the next morning, and late at night, finishing it up, everything crashed. I freaked out. I opened the disk that wasn't on the disks. Uh, it, there is no hard drive, so don't even think about it fixing that way. It, it's, it's, I can't find it. It's gone. I'm freaking out. It's, it's past midnight, and I, I said to the Lord, Lord, I need help here. I can't fix this. But I did the work, and the work was good. I really want to turn it in, Lord. And about that time, there's a knock on my door. I was an RA in my dorm. I was in charge of a group of guys. There was a knock on my door. It was late at night. Pa, 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 pa. And in my anger, I opened the door, and I looked at the man I'd never seen before. And I'm like, what? And he's, I'm looking for so-and-so. I'm like, ah, I, he's not on this. He's, he's, he's on the other floor. He's on the second floor. And, and the man looked at me, and he said, are you okay? It seems like something's wrong. I'm like, ah, I'm just, I'm frustrated. I just lost all my work. He goes, what do you mean? I said, it's on this computer thing, and it's gone. It's not on the screen. It's gone. It's not on the disk. He goes, can I look at it? I'm like, if you want to, but you can't find it. He walks up to my computer, and he starts putting disks in. This is it? Yes. Yes. Save. Push save. Push print. Who are you? And the man looked at me and he says, I, I'm visiting so-and-so. Apparently he's on the second floor, but I work for this company called Apple. I'm in the programming department. My whole life is computers. What floor and what room did you say? I sent him away and I went to my computer and so happy that I had it. And then I, I immediately wanted to open the door and run down to make sure, was that guy an angel or was he really? I don't know. That's one story of Providence. All people have a choice to make, to believe in coincidence or providence. I choose to believe in providence. My God is with me. He protects me. And my God is at work behind the scenes in ways that I do not know. And when evil is done, it is not my job to change it. I can stand for truth. That's what the Lord would say. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. But I must be careful to recognize I'm a kingdom person. And I look at Paul and I say, okay, I have an example. Somebody else has gone where I've gone. Somebody else did things rightly and God provided. And that's how I'll choose to live my life. Let he who has ears, let him hear. Band, if you'd come. God, I pray for your help today for all of us in our world. We see evil. We see misjustice. We see lies. And the truth, oh, the truth is thrown in the streets and trampled on. And so, Lord, we, uh, we each have different thoughts. But, God, above all these things today, help us to be kingdom people, your people, called by your name, Help us to live lives in such a way that we wouldn't bring dishonor to the name, but that we would lift up the name of Jesus. That people would see Jesus in our reactions and in our lives, in our response, in our walk. God, help us to be the reason people want to know of the hope that we have. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, Stand with us.
for your benediction today. Psalm 3, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. May God have his face shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.